Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Wow. It's just wonderful to come together and worship, isn't it? such a blessing to turn up and have incredible musicians, lyrics that are centuries old, lyrics that are new, leading us to respond from the deepest part of who we are to, to God. It's an amazing thing. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. <laughs> um, I always think that uh, the start of a new year is a particularly wonderful time for Christians. Because Jesus specializes in new beginnings. Uh, at one level, the change of a year is purely notional. The Gregorian calendar gets sort of imposed on our consciousness. Nothing really changes at midnight and New Year's Eve. And yet, for Christians, it is an important marker because we know that Jesus is in the business of renewing things. And a new year is a renewing moment. The psalmist says that God puts a new song in our mouths. And maybe at the start of this new year, you're saying, I, I feel like I need a new song. I, I need a, a new hope. I need new language. I, I need something new in my life. The last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, God says, Behold, I am making everything new. <laughs> That's a lot of new stuff. Uh, people often try and sort of caricature Christianity as this sort of archaic museum sort of piece. You know, we're desperately clinging to the past. You know, the, the vicar on his bike riding through the, the village. You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, sort of dead stuff. But we are a future people, more than anyone on earth. Don't represent us with a museum. Represent us with some, like, um, uh, lab on the very forefronts of experimentation. Uh, don't Quite us to the National Gallery. We're the Tate Modern. God is continually doing a new thing. He is the God of renewal. And the Apostle Paul says, if anyone, 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 don't eliminate yourself from this. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. God is a God of the new and so we are a future people a hopeful people we are the happiest people on earth real about our pains did ever such love and sorrow meet we're honest about the pain of life but we are the happiest people on earth because God is in the business of renewing things and maybe looking back on 2017 you think good riddance um there are painful things that you are very glad to leave behind last year. Maybe looking back on 2017, there are shameful things that you want to leave buried in 2018. If that's the case, I have good news for you. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And as we look ahead to this coming year, with all the questions that raises, the fears, the excitements, 
the what-ifs, the maybes, the hesitancies. We, I believe, can step into a new year walking tall with the confidence that comes from the assurance that God has promised that he will be with you. His love will never abandon you. His full resources are entirely available to you every step of the way, day by day, come what may, through this coming year. It doesn't guarantee an easy ride, but boy, is it good news. And so um, we are uh, future people. When uh, George Bush Sr. was president, uh, he visited an old people's home. And he was chatting to a very old lady and began to suspect that maybe she wasn't quite aware that she was talking to the president of America, the leader of the free world. And so eventually, very gently and politely, he said to her, Ma'am, you, do you know who I am? And she paused and she stared at him for a while and she said, mm, No, no, not, no, I don't recognize you. And then she said, very helpfully, she said, But if you ask at reception, they're always very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Identity matters. I wonder if you really know who you are at the start of this year. If I said to you, who are you? Do you give me a job title? I am a barrister. I am a barista. <laughs> Nicky Gumbel was one or the other. I can never work out which. And um, but he makes a terrible coffee, I'll tell you that. Uh, you, you, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm the successful of child prodigy. <laughs> do, 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 do you say, you know, what do you say? Who are you? Your identity will determine your destiny this coming year. Who are you? Ask at reception. They're always very helpful. Our culture is deeply confused about its identity, and it kind of bleeds into our reality too. Brexit. However you voted, we're not going to do a survey. Wouldn't it be horrible if it, we found out that we all voted exactly the same thing? <laughs> no, we're not going to do it. Um, <laughs> although, no. Uh, Brexit, however you voted, seems to me is fundamentally, profoundly about identity, national identity, cultural identity. There was a story in the news last week about a, a, a woman who needed a gynecological test and not unreasonable, she reasonably, she requested a, a female nurse to do the check. She turned up, and the female nurse had a beard and spoke in a deep voice, was covered in tattoos, and was clearly a man. So she said, I'm sorry, I requested a female nurse. And the nurse said, I choose to self-identify as a woman. Interesting. She didn't feel that she wanted to self-identify that particular person as a woman and withdrew from the appointment, wrote a letter of complaint, and this is important, the health authority issued a full apology. There's so much fear around ever just making certain statements about any absolute truth in life. And so, uh, however, I'm not going to get into that, that debate, but you understand there's just uh, this confusion in our culture about identity politically, nationally, culturally, sexually, in every way. 
and it affects us and we can be profoundly insecure and uncertain at, as people at the start of a new year. And that's why I'm excited. One of the reasons I'm excited about this new series we're launching today, which is about our identity in Christ. In Christ, hacking the code of life in Christ. I'm aware that many of you are new to faith in Jesus and I, I want us to think together about what it means to be in Christ, followers of Jesus, the essence of it. Others of you, let's just say you've been around the block a few times as Christians. Well, I hope this series will be a beautiful exercise in decluttering a little bit and clarifying what we're about. Our aim is very simply that this year, 2018, together we want to see Christ more clearly. We want to follow him more nearly, love him more dearly. That was uh, um, uh, Richard of Chichester, wasn't it? So let's look together at Galatians 3, 26 uh, to 28. This is obviously the Apostle Paul writing to the church in uh, Galatia. And uh, I want you to notice how many times in this passage he uses or refers to this phrase, in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. You are, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, interesting phrase, with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are children of God. Into Christ, we have been baptized. In Christ, we clothe ourselves. In Christ, we are one, regardless of race or gender. The main descriptor in the Bible of being a follower of Jesus is this phrase, in Christ. The phrase in Christ is used 164 times. The word Christian is used three times. Jesus never talked about being a Christian. The Apostle Paul never used the word Christian. And so if we were to go back 2,000 years... Yes, you could call yourself a Christian, of course, and they would understand, but they would better understand if you said, I am someone who is in Christ. I wonder what the difference is between the language of Christianity and being in Christ. I wonder what we might discover about following Jesus if we started to think more, as we will do this next few weeks, about being in uh, Christ. I will say this to you, I am less and less interested in Christianity. I am less and less interested in the, the dry creedal statements and the dead religion and the smells and the bells and the nonsense of it all. And I am more and more interested in Jesus Christ, because as I look at the world, I read my newspaper, I, 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 I despair of our systems politically, economically, socially, and so forth, and I look at Jesus, and I say, and I defy anyone to disagree with me, I say, there is hope. 
if we could live like that, if we could follow these teachings, if we could be like that. And do you know what? I don't hear a single person who disagrees with that. If, if we could follow the teachings of Jesus, the world would look a lot more like heaven. And so I'm more and more interested in how could I not just live for Jesus, and not even just with Jesus, but how might I live in Jesus, in Christ, in his love, in his wisdom, in his ways, in his power, in his community, in Christ. People are into all sorts of things, aren't they? You know, there are sort of left-handed thrash metal bird watching clubs out there probably i mean the internet is a great thing people are into tupperware you know people are into like stuff right you know i gotta feng shui my bedroom i mustn't have anything under the beds because it interrupts the energy lines hello you've got too much money and too much time and too much storage space you know and and <laughs> And too big a house, you know. I mean, like people are into all this stuff. And then some people are into this, into Christianity. They're into like, you know, all the old stuff. And the Vicar of Dibley. I, fine, that's your thing. But don't confuse it with this rebellion, this two billion strong rebellion of those who are saying, how could we conspire together to be in Jesus Christ in this world? Amen. If you're into the Christianity stuff, fine, go for it. God bless you. If you're into the thrash metal, left-handed, bird-watching, go for it. This week, our youngest son turns 17, and oh my goodness, he's excited about learning to drive. <laughs> God help us all. God help you all on the roads. <laughs> Day one. He's not here. He's, he's coming this evening. Yeah, he's not here. Uh, day, day, this is just between us, you know. Uh, day one on his birthday, he wants to be out on the highways of Guildford. And I will have to move from the driving seat to the passenger seat in my crash helmet and body armor. When my dad taught me to drive, he, I thought he was the most laid-back man in the world. He, he, he used to read the Daily Telegraph. Don't judge him. He did. And... and and, and he, I remember got into, I got to the driver's seat and he gave me this speech. He said, Pete, old boy, you're, you're, I, you're in charge of a, a lethal machine. Um, do be careful. And then he opened the Daily Telegraph and he said, drive on. And I used to think he was laid back. I now realize he was hiding behind the biggest newspaper he could find. He just didn't want to look at the road. And, you know, stepping out of the driving seat into the passenger seat is scary. We talk a lot, don't we, about Jesus in me. You know, just ask Jesus into your heart. Like, <laughs> can, I, can he be in my knee as well? I don't, you know. But Paul and the Bible talks more about us being in Jesus, and I think there is a difference because if Jesus is in me, I am in control. If I am in Christ, I am out of control. I am no longer in the driving seat. I'm in the passenger seat. So I want to just look very specifically at uh, three simple learnings from this Galatians 3 passage that I think we can take into our week ahead as we begin this series. And the first thing is this. The Apostle Paul clearly says that in Christ we are kids 
of the king. Verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. Mike Pitavacci tells a really terrific story about a, a student on their year off, their gap year. And uh, they went to a remote Indonesian island. And it was quite primitive. And they were fascinated to discover on this island that um, one of the, the sort of things that went on was if you um, wanted to marry a, 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 a girl, you had to pay a dowry to the bride's father. And uh, you did this in cows. And um, so he started asking questions about this. He said, well, how, you know, how does that work? They said, well, a sort of average woman, somebody, <laughs> thin ice ahead, uh, <laughs> Uh, an average woman uh, two, is about two and a half cows is sort of the, 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 the going rate. Uh, a really, you know, dodgy uh, woman with bits falling off her, um, barely alive, sort of half a cow. Um, and so he said, well, what, what's the most that anyone has ever paid for a bride? And they, they started laughing. They said, oh, it's just happened. It has just happened. <laughs> Someone has just paid five cows. Can you believe it? Five cows for a woman. And she's not all that, to be honest. <laughs> so this student went and found the man who had just paid five cows for a frankly average woman. I mean, we're all loved by Jesus, you know, and all that stuff. But, you know. Oh, no, I'm going to be in such trouble. Can I just say, and if you're listening to the recording, this was a Mike Pellavacci story. <laughs> I, I am but a messenger. Uh, if you want Mike Pellavacci's email, I'm happy to supply it. So, um, so he found the man who paid five cows for this uh, average woman, and he said, well, what's going on? And the guy said, oh, I know they're laughing at me, but the thing is, I think she's worth five cows. And actually, <laughs> that's, who just went, oh, that's the sweetest thing. <laughs> I, I, I said, and because I've paid five cows for her, when my wife walks into the village, she does so as a five-cow woman. <laughs> she walks and she talks as a five-cow woman. She looks like a five-cow woman. I'm here to tell you, you are five-cow women. <laughs> just say, thank you, Pete. In fact, you're better than five cows. John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave. Just five cows. He gave himself. He gave Jesus Christ, the greatest person that has ever lived, the Son of God. God so loved the world, he gave the greatest for you. Which means that you can somehow walk and talk as someone who understands their worth, not in yourself, but in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Christ, in fact, we are children of God. That means, and this is going to sound ordinary, but it's the most extraordinary thing anyone could say to you anywhere in Guildford this morning. Listen to this. That means that the Father God feels about you the way he feels about Jesus. God feels about you 
the way he feels about his son Jesus. If you are in Christ, that is how much you're loved. You might say, well, I should imagine the Father loves Jesus like this, because like, you know, Trinity is his son. He kind of did a good job, never sinned. And then I'm here, and God's so nice, I get a little bit of love. No, 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 no. In Christ, you are loved as the Father loves the Son. And we see evidence of that in our lives, don't we? In small ways each day, the blessings, the kindnesses of God, and the great ways. And there's so many. One of the wonderful things being part of a community is we're always seeing both the pain of life, but also the evidence of God's great love for us in Christ. And I want you to hear just one story. So Ginny Radmel, come on up. She does know about this. I'm not about to just randomly pick on people in here. Uh, But Ginny, Ginny, God did something which is wonderful. Uh, last year in Ginny's uh, life, which just shows his love. So, Ginny, tell us what happened. Right, just okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so, about um, eight years ago, I was diagnosed with gluten intolerance, which basically means that if I ate like a tiny bit of gluten, it made me throw up or have really bad stomach cramps and um, just feel really ill for a couple of days. Um, so, about uh, back in May time of last year, last year, wow, okay, last year, um, I was uh, stuck in an airport in Brussels because I had missed a flight home and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I was really, really hungry and I decided um, I'm just going to grab something from Starbucks and I had a weird miscommunication with the lady in Starbucks and she thought gluten and dairy were the same thing or interchangeable or something and so she told me it's definitely gluten-free and uh, this thing definitely wasn't gluten-free. I had like flour in or somewhere in there. And, um, and then a few moments later, I, I threw up on the plane home. So I was feeling pretty rough. Uh, that was on the Friday. And then on the um, Sunday just after, Jackie Pullinger was um, speaking at MS. So we went down to the service. And um, the service was completely rampacked. We didn't, we didn't manage to get in. So we were just standing out the back, hanging out with Jake and Daisy. And then um, Anna Beasley, who goes to the evening service, came running out and she said, Ginny, uh, Jackie's just had a word about gluten and celiac or something. So you should come on in. Uh, so we went in and uh, there was a sort of typical thing happening at the front of church where there's, there's three circles. And I, one was, I heard somebody say one was addiction or something to do with addiction. One was like celiac and then the other I don't know what it was but I didn't know which circle was which I kind of like tried to shimmy into one of them hoping I was in the right the right circle to be prayed for um anyway I was prayed for and um and I'd been prayed for a lot before so I was I was feeling like kind of hopeful but still I had, had a little bit of lack of faith really I didn't really I didn't quite think it was going to happen um but I really felt the Holy Spirit was there and as I was being prayed for I just felt really peaceful and I asked the Holy Spirit like should I should I test this out? Because testing it out is quite risky. Because if if I if I test it out and, it, and it's got gluten in, then I feel really feel really rough. Um, but I felt like a, a really tiny whisper from the Holy Spirit, which I'd never heard before, just saying, "Go and eat some gluten." Um, so we went down to meet the Greek classic, and ordered a kebab. And I was I was feeling really nervous. And John was sitting next to me, and he was like, "Oh, and babe, I'm not sure if you should do this or not." <laughs> um, but we ate it, and within five minutes, I will I will like I will always know if I've eaten it or not. And I felt absolutely fine, uh, which was crazy in itself. And um, but I still thought like I really need to test this out and and just see if this this has actually happened. And so I sort of basically wrote a list of everything that I hadn't been able to eat for the last eight years, which had gluten in it, and slowly for the next couple of weeks just ticked them all off, um, which was absolutely insane. Amazing. And 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 when I 
when I asked Jenny and was checking this past her yesterday, um, I said, make, I want to get the facts right. She sent me a photograph of herself with the biggest pizza you could ever, you could, you could ever eat. And Ginny, there'll be people here who say, oh, that's wonderful. Why would God do that? And there are people here I know whose hearts are breaking because they cried out for healing and it didn't happen. Sometimes even losing people because of that. What would you say to, that, to, to those people? That's a tough question. And you know, my mum, who's not a Christian, asked me that same question when I, I went home and said to her, Mum, I, I was eating pancakes in front of her, and she was really surprised and said, but why this? Um, and, and actually, John answered the question really well. He said, Liz, I don't actually know really the answer to that, but I do know that Ginny and everybody else is really loved, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, but I think it's just an act of his love. And I always wonder, this is not to make it too humorous, but um, we'd been on honeymoon a month beforehand in Italy, and, um, and I hadn't been able to eat much pizza or pasta. So my question was, why not a month earlier? <laughs> you were doing so well till you said that last bit. It was like deep empathy with the human condition, and then it's pretty shallow, to be honest. But that was great. Brilliant. Round of applause. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> Um, did you hear that? The Father loves us. There's many things we don't understand, but the Father loves us as he loves the Son. In Christ, we are children of God. And if we could just, whoever's doing the slides, if you just go back to the previous one where we see the scripture, there's some interesting pointers about how we can live in this reality. Look at this. In Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. And then it says later, you've got to clothe yourself in this stuff. Now, I don't wear the same clothes the entire year. I know some of you think I do, but I actually don't. You know, you get dressed every day, and there's a sense in which faith looks like getting dressed in this reality every day, putting it on every day. Why? Because your identity in Christ will be contested. When Jesus himself was in the wilderness and Satan was having his best shot for 40 days, tempting Jesus, the thing he kept tempting him on was identity. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And so you in Christ are going to get that. Who really are you? Who do you think you are? You're such a failure. You, you know, you're a half cow woman. You, you, you know, you're going to get all this stuff all the time. And so faith means that we actively dress in Christ every day. Isn't that an interesting uh, idea? And, and, and uh, you, you know, uh, if you just felt like, I'm loved by the Father incredibly every day, then there's no faith involved. It's just kind of like, that's what I feel today. It's the days when you don't feel it, but you still choose to believe it that you receive it by faith. Amen. And so we all of us have to develop delightful disciplines, holy habits that will help us get dressed in Christ every day. And, and, and you say to me, isn't that a bit legalistic? Well, fine, You're getting dressed is legalistic. Just be naked, be my guest. You know that it's a little bit of an effort to choose clothes, to wash clothes, to buy clothes, to put clothes on every day, but it's kind of what you do. Well, it's the same spiritually. You receive the grace and the love of God by dressing in it. And so can I encourage you, this is a great time of year to start maybe download the Bible in one year app which is a phenomenal free resource, uh, or, 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 or sacred space, 
uh, from the Irish Jesuits is another beautiful one. But it is through our holy habits, through our simple practices, through the podcasts we listen to on the commute, through turning off the radio after doing the school run and chatting to God or praying in tongues. It's through these disciplines that we clothe ourselves in uh, Christ. We also see in this passage that as well as being kids of the King in Christ, we are in Christ, it is we, not me. The Apostle says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This isn't just, I'm clothed in Christ and I'm loved so I can conquer the world. You cannot because in Christ you are part of community and it is together that we're going to do this thing and be in Christ. It, it may well be impossible for an isolated individual to be truly in Christ. It is somehow in community together, in church, in the body of Christ, corporate, that we do uh, this thing. There was a Maury poll that discovered, and, and the media was very excited, surprised by this, that the churches in the UK are the most socially and culturally diverse communities we have. There is no community anywhere in the UK that is more socially and culturally diverse than the church. And the reason for that, the reason that we can get together the way that we do, build life together, uh, different ages, different demographics, different political views, different genders, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic groups, is that we are one in Christ. We have Christ together. And we've got this weird and wonderful idea that we are a promise and a prophecy to the culture that says, listen, if Guildford, if people of Guildford, if you would love each other the way we're loving each other, if you'd forgive each other, if you'd be generous to one another, if you'd put up with one another, if you'd laugh at each other's bad jokes, if you would be uh, selflessly kind to one another the way that we are, then we'd start to see what heaven looks like in Guildford. And people say that's a bit arrogant. Well, no, because it's not through us, it's through Christ. It is through the teachings and the presence and the grace of Christ that we're able to love one another and defy things that the rest of the culture struggles to achieve. It is in Christ that we are a community. Just before Christmas, I was talking to Chris Arthur. Where are you, Chris? Give me a wave. Oh, yeah, there you are. Down, just down in the foyer on the way into the service. And Chris, was, and Chris has given me permission to share this. Chris was talking, his, his um, brother is, is very, very ill at the moment with, uh, with cancer and is on chemo. And um, humanly speaking, the prognosis is not good, but we pray for a miracle. And uh, Chris was saying, you know, the wonderful thing is, you know, his faith is really coming alive. And he said, actually, a few months ago, he came here to this service and someone prayed with him, Chris Kachani. Whoever he has prayed with him and he, he experienced something of God in the worship. He just encountered God in a wonderful way. His, his faith is coming alive, even though he doesn't live around here. And, and Chris was back um, with, with his brother and uh, his parents and was reading some of the emails from some of you guys in, in Chris uh, Arthur's collective. Emails of support and of encouragement. We're praying for you. We're with you. How can we help you? And he was just reading these acts that might be encouraging to the wider family. And, you know, Chris's mother said, how do you find community like this? I mean, I mean, these are not workmates. These are not family members. Who are these people who are emailing you, supporting you, praying for you, loving you, serving you? He said, well, this is church. 
And she kind of said, well, can I get this if I go to any church in the country? And Chris kind of said, well, technically, yes. <laughs> but the dream is that in Christ we love one another and support one another and bless one another. Our lives are contextualized in the death of Jesus, and so we suffer together, and in the resurrection of Jesus. And so we celebrate stories like Ginny's and those of you who come to know Jesus and getting baptized and so on together. Can I encourage you this year that part of clothing yourself in Christ may be to really get stuck in to this community? It's wonderful that you come on Sunday, and I think it's the most amazing thing to do. To come to church on a Sunday in a culture where it's so tempting to lie in bed or just read the Sunday papers or whatever it is. Thank you for coming. But honestly, if you just come on Sunday, there'll be a certain ceiling on what you can really experience and grow in. But as you begin to volunteer on teams, because our dream isn't just to meet, but is to totally change this city and this region with the good news of Jesus. And so as you begin to volunteer, kids teams, youth teams, doing the screens, you know, community action stuff, whatever it is that you're excited about. As you begin to give financially, so you're not just sort of consuming something, but saying I've got skin in the game. As you get stuck in with collectives so you can be part of supporting people like Chris when they suffer, it is then that we, uh, that the I becomes a, a we and we start to uh, become part of this wonderful community's conspiracy in Christ. Thirdly and finally, in Christ we are called. We understand Jesus is on a mission. We are on a mission. I went to see uh, the, the Star Wars movie over Christmas, The Last Jedi. Give me a wave if you've seen The Last Jedi. Oh, lots of you. Lots, uh, much higher ratio here than in Woking, interestingly. Uh, I'll leave you to reflect on that later. And, um, but I'm not going to spoil the plot, but there's this great moment at the end where the baddie, that's Kylo Ren, let's have the picture up here, uh, is having this full-on confrontation with Luke Skywalker, the Jedi, the, the good guy. And this is what happens. Kylo Ren says, The resistance is dead. The war is over. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Do I hear a boo? Okay, it's pantomime season. Come on, people. And Luke Skywalker replies and says, every word of what you just said was wrong. The rebellion is reborn today. The war is just beginning, and I will not be the last Jedi. Da-da-da-da. Woo! Woo! Sort of. You're getting it. You're getting it. Oh, no, no, we won't get it. There are many voices in the culture that are trying to write us off as church as a relic of an old and dying order. But at the start of this new year, I have a great sense of something new beginning in our midst, in this church, in this region, and even in this nation. We are future people. We are a promise and a prophecy to the culture. I've said that in Christ we are loved as kids of the King. And that enables us to live with confidence. I've said that in Christ we belong to the most diverse and beautiful community on earth. Part of a two billion strong resistance movement. 
And I've said that in Christ, we are called to join this resistance, that we might declare the love and hope of God to a world that is lost and desperately lonely. So we're just going to take a few moments now to respond. It'd be great to get the band back. Sitting all over the uh, venue. Pete Burton's probably out having a cigarette out the back. Oh, no, there you are, Pete. Oh, is this one of the ones we've got to finish early? Pete's tapping his watch. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so we're not going pr- to respond. The worship, the worship pastor doesn't want us to pray. I mean, you just can't get the staff these days. No, I'm joking. Okay. Let's just, let's just land this very personally, and the, and the onus will be on each one of us to pray this in, in our own time, in, in, in maybe this afternoon or in the week ahead. That's beautiful. That's very powerful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, George. <laughs> if you want to pack down the drum kit, feel free. Those of you listening online, if you want slick, go to uh, Willow Creek or Hillsong. <laughs> There's a battle around identity. There's a battle particularly around our identity in Christ. And the call at the start of this year is to find our identity, not in our jobs, not in our kids, not in our levels of popularity or unpopularity, not in our successes or failures, but to find our identity in Jesus Christ, in his love, in his people, in his reality. I wonder if for some of us the the challenge is to really clothe ourselves with the love of the Father this year, to leave shame behind, to step into the new year boldly, to make some decisions daily, to clothe ourselves with Christ. What might those look like? I wonder if for others the invitation today is to move from the me to the we, to understand that I'm going to get stuck in. I'm going to really commit. I'm going to get involved with collectives. I'm going to get baptized into Christ this year. I'm going to give. And for others, maybe this year it's this call in Christ to engage in his mission. Maybe it's time to speak up and stand up and be counted as a Christian at work. Maybe there are new decisions or directions that he's inviting you to take. So Lord Jesus, whatever it is, we ask that you would help us to clothe ourselves in you this year. That we might truly see you more clearly and follow you more nearly and love you more dearly in 2018. Amen.